Oh, holy balls. Holy balls. <laughs> I done did fucked yes, up. Yes, you did. All right. <laughs> You're listening to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. We are a horror and true crime podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I am Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bella. Holla! <laughs> Hi. Hi. How you doing, babies? Uh, a little bit ashamed of that holla, but other than that, doing pretty good. Hey, what, what you gonna do? Yeah, well... I holla all the time. Holla at the bitches? Holla at the bitches. Mm-hmm. What you gonna do? <laughs> when when those bitches, you gotta holla. <laughs> this is true. I would make a terrible man. Yeah, well. It's really quite a blessing to the world that I am not a man. <laughs> I think you would just be a very ironic man, wouldn't you? Maybe, maybe... I feel like I definitely would have gone through a fedora stage in high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you would if have. I had been a man. Yes, you would yeah. have. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Before we get into horrible, horrible stuff, I'm going to do some plugs. Okay. Because I feel dirty plugging after horrible stuff. That's fair. Yeah. So I just want to let everybody know that's listening. We're starting a Patreon. Woo! Patreon! Woo! Um... We're not necessarily hoping to do this as, like, a full-time gig, but we would love to pay for our passion and hobby. And so we're going to make a Patreon. And we've got, you know, different tiers with different stuff. And we're happy to get feedback from listeners on what they would like to see for Patreon rewards. We've got a couple of things up there that are... Um, like current ideas, but we're both you know, really we just... fond of coffee mugs and t-shirts yes. and keychains and stickers. And yeah. Stuff like that. And then like, you know, behind the scenes stuff, like maybe we'll do, we were thinking about maybe doing mini episodes for patrons and then like, maybe you guys can like vote on what we should talk about and we can just talk about it and not necessarily do a ton of research like we do for the episodes, you know, just stuff like that. Anything. Talk to us. Tell us what you want. Tell us what you want. So so we're starting a Patreon. It's going to be, you know, Patreon slash Pump Hitch Pod, like everything else that we have. And I just wanted to put that on top of the show because we're about to get into some real heavy shit. Mm. Are you so excited to be done with child murder? I am so excited to be done with child I'm murder. So That's, I'm ready to move to on. I'm so excited to be done with child murder. Who oh, boy. I am... <laughs> I'm ready. I'm I'm really glad that we're recording in the afternoon and that I just put birdseed on my porch because if I start to like, if it just gets too heavy, I can look out and see the fat little dark eyed junk ghost taking my sunflower seeds and that will make Excellent. everything feel so much better. I'll be like, oh, birds are happy. That's nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, blah, 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 Patreon. Uh, are you ready for some child murder? I mean, that's a weird way to... Are you as to... ready as you can be for yeah. some child murder? Yeah, I was going to say, don't don't phrase it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say I'm ready for that, but I, I'm ready to hear about it, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as this whole story goes, you know, the, the, the crimes behind the sex offender registry, and also, basically, the crimes that created stranger danger... Mm-hmm. I would definitely argue that our finale is, like, the big grand finale. Because it is basically the story. Okay. And everybody knows part of the story. At least. You maybe have never heard about Adam Walsh, but you've seen John Walsh's face. Yes. Because he's America's most wanted guy. Right. Oh, dear. Yeah. So... Let's get into our final awful sad trigger warning, as per usual. Love, Alex. I'll be so happy to get back into uh, 
something a little more spooky and less real world when we are able to, so we don't have to yeah. do the trigger warnings. Just like, hmm, maybe try not to get triggered by werewolves. Everything's fine. That's Rather than things that legitimately uh, uh, warrant a trigger warning. Yeah, that's not for a few months. Sorry. I know. I can still look forward <laughs> to it, though. I can still look forward to it. Yes. All right. So, Adam Walsh. He is a really cute fucking kid. Oh, so cute. He is missing a front tooth. As a six-year-old is wont to do. Mm-hmm. Adorable little bowl cut. Yes. We we bab. So, he was born November 14th, 1974. And so, at the time this story takes place, he's six years old. Okay. So he's our youngest victim, and he's our earliest victim, because if you recall, Jacob Wetterling happened in 1989. Right, right. So this story's kind of weird because it just sort of lasts forever. Okay. So that's is that why we're tackling it now instead of uh, earlier on? We're tackling it now because this story made the most updated Sex Offender Registry Act. Really? Yep. Even though it so happened Jacob the Wetterling, longest ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Jacob Wetterling, uh, five years later, created the Jacob Wetterling Act. Mm-hmm. Megan Conka, two years later, made Megan Conka, or the Megan's Law. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Walsh, oh boy, like 30-something years later. Mm-hmm. Not 30, maybe 25 years you get the Adam Walsh Act. Okay, so his case just lasted forever. His his case just lasted forever. And okay. it's still really honestly going on. Really? Arguably. Kind of. I'm, I'm like, sure we'll... At least with... We'll get into it, yeah. But, like, you know, Megan Conka, we immediately knew what happened. Right. Um, And Jacob Wetterling, we only just recently found out what happened, and it was fucking wild. Mm-hmm. This case is a little different. So, we'll get into it. Okay. So, Jacob's born to John and Reve Walsh. He was a smart, kind child, but he was very shy. Shy kids like are the a, cutest. I know. Anyway, so, um, a little bit about John Walsh. He was brought up with early wealth. Uh, he was raised in Auburn, New York. He went to private school. And then he chose to go to college in Buffalo Mm -hmm. because a uh, famous novelist taught there. Okay. Famous novelists taught there. Okay. And he wanted to be a writer. But then he ended up working in hotel development. And he was really successful. He had like two or three partners. And at the time this story takes place, he was working on a $26 million hotel project. Dang. Which in today's money is a million D bajillion D dollars. I did the conversion. A million bajillion. Yes, that's sounds about right. As yeah. far as how so, I conceptualize money anyway. I mean, basically you can't conceptualize anything over like a hundred, so <laughs> <laughs> our brains are stupid. Neurons smart. Brains very stupid. <laughs> okay. So um instead of writing, he translates his creativity by telling stories to Adam. That makes sense. Which is really cute. He tells stories about um, Sparky the dog and Bobby and how they'd save the day. Mm. And they were like cute little soft moral stories. Yeah. Um, and Adam was his oldest child. Uh, John and Reve had three more children, but not until after this story. Okay. So, so he was the only the time, child. He was the only child. Okay. Yeah. Adam was named after John's father. Adam John Walsh. Okay. And when he was a little kid, he made this strange crowing noise. Mm -hmm. He was like, you know, when he was like four months old. And so his grandfather nicknamed him Rooster McCooster. Oh, how cute. Which is adorable. Um, Which eventually gets shortened to Cooter. Cooter. Kind of like Twine. Do you know my family calls me Twine? I did not know that. Have you heard my Aunt Ginger call me Twine? No. She's pretty much the only one that still calls me Twine. Oh, okay. But, um, as a little kid, I, my, my 
like great uncle or something would nickname like every family member Mm -hmm. every little kid got a nickname uh jacob was oscar because oscar the grouch oh uh, (laughs) yep all right (laughs) i love it i love it i love it but um he i think it i think it came from high high tiny so i was high twine high twine okay twiny twiny right (laughs) twiny and then that got shortened to twine lovely personal story that connects you to cooter (laughs) cooter (laughs) which is a great name (laughs) but you know just like some cute little background about this kid so (sighs) we go we get to july 27th 1981 adam has breakfast with his mother and Mm -hmm. godfather um they start running errands okay they first drop off his tuition check, and then Reve takes Adam to a Sears department store in Hollywood, Florida. She wanted to look for lamps. I think they were having a sale. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, go through the store, and Adam wants to play with an Atari that a group of boys was playing with in the toy section. Because this is long ago enough that they were like, oh my god, Atari, it's new technology, it's so cool. So, Reve tells Adam that she'll be in the lamp department, and she'll be right back and stay right here. And he says, okay, Mommy, I know where that is. And that's the last thing she hears him say. Ugh. And when she returns to the Atari game, Adam and the boys were all gone. Mm. So, what happened is the group of boys that had been at the Atari um, were two white boys and two black boys. Mm-hmm. So at some point, the the boys get into a fight about like who can play next, blah blah blah, right? right. Like you know, like kids boys do, do yeah. And a young, untrained, emotionally and physically exhausted security guard, she had had an abortion the day before. Oh dear! And was like forced to come into work that day. Uh. So she wasn't like the best, but you know, it's kind of not. It's not her fault, right? She came by to break up the fight, and she assumed that Adam was with the two white boys. Right. So she tells the, the two black kids to leave out this door, and she tells the three white kids to leave out this door. Yeah. And other than that, we don't really know where Adam went. Right. Because he suppo- probably went along with those kids. Right. But then, but then what? Because they went and did their thing and right. he was a shy little kid that wouldn't speak up yeah so of course he would just follow them and then who knows what yeah so so that's all we really know um the she had actually dressed him in the same outfit as his first grade picture so like little sailor's outfit and um that's not one of the pictures i have here i I might not have. I mean, that's okay. I just was. I always thought it was the baseball picture, but I'm not actually sure. Right. That doesn't look like a sailor's outfit. That looks like a baseball oh, outfit. You're right. But either way. Well, yeah. I had written down somewhere what he was wearing exactly, but it's not really important. No. It was like yellow shorts, pink flip flops, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, but it doesn't matter. It's been. 30 years, mm-hmm. 40 years. Whoa, it's been a long time. Yeah. Woof. Anyway, so the initial search is actually a lot like the Wetterling case. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of people that spread out on the ground calling his name. They even use helicopters, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and again, luckily, Reve had dressed Adam that day in the same picture as his first grade picture. So that's, she was able to that's show perfect. exactly what he was wearing, what he looked yeah. like. But they don't find him. And two weeks later, the severed head of a young child is found floating in a canal next to Vero Beach. Oh, no. So that's 124 miles north. And no bodies found. Mm. And the head's connected to Adam using dental records because something, something missing tooth. Right. Okay. So that's, that's basically the shittiest part is... I mean, okay, so in interviews with their son, mm-hmm. he he basically says that, like, the not knowing was actually the worst part. 
the where is he, the what is he doing, is he okay, is he safe, is he dead? Right. Where's his fucking body? You know, all of that was, was the worst part, but I'm sure finding out that your son is dead and had been de- decapitated. Right, that's a, I mean, that's, a, yeah, that's brutal. It's just so brutal. Especially for a six-year-old. Right, that's a really uniquely brutal, like, usually people are decapitated, like, for, like, revenge killings and, and sentencing and that kind of, like, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, like, when I think of decapitation, I think of, like, fucked up serial killers. Mm-hmm. You know, but, like, adult victims. Yeah. Trying to hide their bodies. And I think of, like, the Mexican drug cartel. Right, exactly. Like, you're sending a message. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think of six-year-olds. Yeah. No, never. Super, super fucked up. So, John and Rave make a super teary statement to the press. And Rave says, evidently, Adam was too good for this world. And around then, Adam's abduction becomes national news. Mm-hmm. John John and Reve had actually done a really good job of, like, keeping the story in the press and, like, keeping people's attention. Mm-hmm. But it, it gets bigger from this point. Okay. And John continues because they don't know who the killer is. Right. So he's not going to just let it go. Yeah. On October 10th, 1983, the TV film Adam airs, which is about Adam's going missing mm-hmm. and then like it's about like john and Reve coping and john becoming like an advocate for children and Reve as well like right. you know they they start the the national center although that that's not until a little bit later but you know they're they're doing advocacy they're doing legislative work that sort of stuff right and shortly after adam airs like literally the next day Otis tool sends a letter to John Walsh. So, a little bit about Otis Tool. Tool was already in prison at this time. Okay. In January 1982, so about a year and a half prior, Tool had barricaded a 64-year-old man, George Sonnenberg, into his home and then set the house on fire. Jesus Christ, why? Uh, because he's a fucking psychopath. Dude's fucking nuts. Okay. We might actually do an episode on Otis Tool at some point and Henry Lee Lucas. And a week after uh, Sonnenberg succumbs to his wounds, which is almost worse. It means oh, that he, he didn't die gets in the all fire. fucked up yeah. in a fire and then he lives for a week. Yeah, that's terrible. And like burns are like awful. Right. Yeah, that's bad. There's it's no just, there's no pain. Medic- oh, no. Yeah, it's just nerves everywhere. Just your skin everywhere. So that's some big fuckery. And Tool was like big on arson like that was his thing Mm -hmm. but he also was like developmentally delayed he was like very below iq okay not the lowest but like pretty low and so like you know impulse control understanding of the situation that sort of stuff problems there Mm -hmm. and tool was a notorious serial killer he was a drifter killer with henry lee lucas Okay. So they actually worked together. Okay. Is that these these pictures? Is that? Yeah. So okay. so the first picture is Henry Lee Lucas and the second picture is Otis Tool. Okay. And they were almost certainly gay lovers. Okay. But also they would, you know, go around train, car, stolen car a lot of times, mm-hmm. get odd jobs or steal for money. And then they would, they would literally just murder and rape wherever they went, you know? And so there's no real, there's no real good knowledge of how many people they killed. Right. Because it was just so ongoing and they would kill vagrants, sounds like. Mm -hmm. Well, they would kill, they would kill hitchhikers. They would kill store clerks. And basically it's the how to get away with murder, be a Mm -hmm. drifter killer. Right. Like kill a random person and then leave yeah that's a that's the way to get away with murder yeah so they they were pretty nuts but also while they were in prison they would they would confess to like all sorts of crimes yeah now henry lee lucas was the worst he confessed to like upwards of three thousand crimes now are these valid confessions or is he just murders 
Um, and some of there's them no are way. probably true, and some of them are definitely not true. They basically caught him by making up fake murders and uh-huh. asking him about them, and he would confess to them. Okay. Yeah. They were both developmentally delayed. They both had, like, um, childhood head trauma. Okay. Uh, They both had, like, wicked fucked up childhoods. You know, they were, like, a right proper serial killer soup. Okay. As far as their life goes. This Mm -hmm. is how you make a serial killer. You know, that's our that's our quick rundown of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. Mostly Otis Toole because he's the one that confessed to this crime. And we might actually do episodes on these guys because... Mm -hmm. They're pretty fucking notorious. So again, Adam airs on TV. Otis Tool writes John Walsh. He tells him that he murders Adam. And if he pays him and doesn't go to the police, he'll give him the body. Because the head was found, but not the body. Right. But John Walsh goes to the police because you go to the fucking police. Yeah. (laughs) And Otis Tool tells police that he had kidnapped a boy named Adam from a Hollywood mall. He said that he wanted to raise him as his own, but as he was driving, the boy got rowdy, and he slapped him and strangled him to death. Okay. Slapped the shit out of him, is I think what he specifically said. Okay. And that kind of aligns because I think that there was some, like, pre-death bruising on the head's face. Okay. That was like, okay, yeah, this, this kid was at least somewhat roughed up. Okay. Um, But then he was strangled to death, and then all of the really awful things that happened after that were post-mortem, which I guess is good. I mean, good, yeah, good that he didn't have to live through it, I suppose. Yeah, you know, it's like better than the alternative, I guess. Little victories. Not great Little itty-bitty, tiny, tiny victories. Yeah, it's it's more of a less of a loss. Yeah. (laughs) Not the worst loss. Still the worst loss, but not the worst, worst loss. Hannah's got the zoomies. she got to go fast. So he de- he decapitates the kid with a uh, with a machete. I think he says that he used two hands and the coroner had said like, oh, okay, this had to have been a machete and it would have had to have been used by two hands. Blah, blah, blah. He says he burned the body but forgot the head in the back seat. Mm. And then when he realized the head was there, he threw it in a canal. Okay. So there's some consistencies, but there's also a lot of inconsistencies. Right. So, like, I think he knew approximately the mile marker of where the canal was. Right. Stuff like that. But also, like, he got the clothes that Adam was wearing wrong and stuff like that. Hmm. Also, he, like, changes his confession a lot. At one point, he says Henry Lee Lucas was involved um, and was actually the one who had killed Adam. But at the time of Adam's abduction, Henry Lee Lucas was incarcerated. Right. So that obviously was not the case. So it couldn't have happened. Yeah. And then Otis Toole recants. Okay. And he confesses and he recants and he confesses and recants. Like, this is a awful, terrible pattern. These, this family is already mourning the loss of their son, the fact that he was brutally murdered, and then they're dealing with the up and down. Right. If I did it, I didn't do it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he did it. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he did Horrible fucker. So no body was found in relation to where Tool tells the police to look. So that's one. Maybe he didn't. Right. And having done the research, I don't know. I'd give it like a 50-50. Oh, dear. So it's, it's, uh, it's still unknown then. Well, it's, it's claimed to have been proven and I'll get to that. But as far as, as far as I can see, I I don't know that he didn't, and I don't know that he didn't do it. Okay. You know? Yeah. It's just one of those, like, it fits the bill. He was a drifter killer. He liked killing people. He really killed whoever. And he was from Florida. Well, and if he has brain damage, I guess that, you know, it's like, how much can you attribute to brain damage like as far as his confession goes right like yeah. how much of it is because he truly didn't do it and is lying and how much of the inconsistency and the the recant confess recant confess cycle is is a, a symptom of fucked up yeah 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 and that's that's kind of brought up um a lot of times is like some of the stuff that he got wrong is like overtly he's lying and some of the stuff that he got wrong is like maybe it's just that he's de- like developmentally impaired yeah so 
when Tool is arrested for arson, you know, in January of 1982 for the Sonnenberg murder, um, FDLE went and found his car on a used car lot. Who did? A white Cadillac. FDLE. It's the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Okay. Thank you. And the police investigate the interior of the Cadillac. They found hair samples that didn't match Adam, but they Mm -hmm. did find blood in the car. And the carpet was kept as evidence. Okay. Now, we like to talk about police fucking up, don't we? Yes, we do. So, somehow... Did it happen again? Yes. (laughs) So, somehow... This is 1981, so we don't have DNA evidence. Like, that's a couple years out. So, we can't test the blood. So, the Cadillac ends up on a used car lot and sold for scrap. Okay. And the carpet samples also go missing. So any uh, evidence that they have about Tool gone. is gone. Gone. Like any in like improvements in science that could actually I mean confirm... getting rid of the car is one thing but like why get rid of the mats? Well, they didn't mean to. All of right. this was just police oops. Uh, yeah. There's there's one story of the like lead detective, I don't remember who it was. He had a box in his office that they think mm-hmm. might have been the carpet samples, and he kept it in there for years. And then at some point, a cleaning person came in and was like, hey, is this box trash? Yeah, it's trash. Go ahead and throw it out. And they think that uh, might be where it is. Yeah. Otherwise, eh. no one knows. <laughs> oh, God. So so that's that. So here's some other some other evidences. In 1991, so this is the 10th anniversary of Adam's disappearance and murder, a man named William Missler comes forward about having seen Tool take Adam in a white Cadillac. Okay. So he didn't say anything at the time, because at the time he thought it was what he called an Uncle Buck situation. Basically, everybody has the Uncle Buck. So he thought it was like a nice, well-dressed, clean-cut kid being picked up by his kind of dirty, scruddy uncle. Right. Okay. Which is a thing, you know? Right. Everybody has their scruddy uncle. (laughs) So it didn't seem like a violent, terrifying thing that he had to come forward about. Right. And then... How did he know who it was? He recognized him. Okay. Yeah. Um, And and when Tool confessed in the first part and he got on the news and stuff, he hadn't come forward because he believed there were already plenty of witnesses... Mm-hmm. And in the news, there had been circulating information about a blue van. And he saw a white Cadillac, so he didn't want to, like, muck up that. Right. So that's why he didn't come forward at the time. But in 1991, there's the 10th anniversary, and it's in the news, and blah, blah, blah. And he realizes mm-hmm. that, like, they don't have evidence Anything. in any way. Right. And he goes, oh, hey, I saw Otis Tool, Like, that dude, I recognize him because he's got that fucked up face. And he's a million feet tall. <laughs> he's this really tall, terrifying, gay redneck. Super weird. You should look up, like, interviews with him. His is voice it upsetting? Is, his voice is just, like, it's comical because it is, uh-huh. like, gay redneck. That is his accent. Oh, okay. Yes. It's, it's weird. It's weird, but it's kind of funny. And we love making fun of serial killers, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he's like, yeah, I recognize this dude, and he blah, 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 white Cadillac, and I'm pretty sure he took Adam. So he comes forward. And that's kind of confirming, because white Cadillac. Right. But then what about Blue Van? That was just one of those, like, remember in the Wetterling case, where, like, everybody was throwing tips, and like, oh, there's a white van, oh, there's a blue van, oh, there's a Jeep, blah, 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 and everybody's looking for it, and yada, yada. That was one of those situations. Oh, Okay. Then also, uh, prison inmates with Otis Tool had heard him admit to killing Walsh. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, like, well-known throughout the prison. Okay. That, like, so, he did. Yeah. Basically, he had confessed to other inmates. Okay. And around his death or after his death, um, Sarah Patterson, she's Tool's niece, mm-hmm. uh, says that Tool confessed to her that he had killed Adam. And when she asked him where the body was, he told her, no one will ever know. No one will ever know. Hmm. Like a big douchey douche. So, yeah, that's like a power plus. That's, that's the one thing totally that keeps on play. coming to my mind is the whole idea of like, okay, well, 
obviously in prison, like, you know, there's that whole thing, like, no one likes a child molester, nobody, whatever. But also, Mm -hmm. like, when you have a big national case like this, wouldn't that be exactly the kind of uh, case that somebody would want to confess to if they wanted that reputation? Well, that's that's one of the reasons that I kind of don't necessarily buy his confession. Right. Because, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of confession, there's, like, a little bit of evidence that points towards him, mm-hmm. but just not enough. Right. Like, like, if this were the case that I would be given for Otis Tool, I would not convict him. There's okay. so many other cases to convict him on. And he was. In May 1984, Tool was sentenced to death for a different murder. Okay. And... He he appealed and it was overturned because some evidence or some hearsay had gotten through that shouldn't have. But he still got life in prison. He just okay. overturned the death sentence. Okay. And he dies September 5th, 1996 of cirrhosis. Hmm. His homie was an alcoholic. Right. So this is where it gets a little fun. Okay. Another possibility... Jeffrey Dahmer. Right, I saw this in the outline. Who's I've been, my I've been boy? just waiting with bated <laughs> breath, like, <laughs> how so, does this relate? So, um, this is fucked up to say, but Jeffrey Dahmer is my favorite serial killer. <laughs> that is a little bit fucked up. It's but fucked I up. forgive you. Now, it's not because I like Jeffrey Dahmer. It's because Jeffrey Dahmer has fascinated me the most out of all of the serial killers. Right. We're definitely going to have to do a series on Jeffrey Dahmer because oh, yes. he's... He's the one that I find the most interesting. He's my favorite. Which is fucked up to say. He's definitely my favorite. So so how does he relate to this? So, there's at least a few people that believe Jeffrey Dahmer murdered Adam Walsh. Okay. One person in particular has been very public about it. He's written a book. I think it's called, like, Frustrated Witness. Mm-hmm. You can Google it. Uh, his name is Willis Morgan. And he says that he was in the Hollywood Mall the day that Adam went missing. And he met a man who he believes to be Jeffrey Dahmer in the Hollywood Mall. Okay. And he was, like, creepy, hitting on him, being a little weird. And he kind of, like, shirked him off. Yeah. And he left, and he didn't see him later. But because of Jeffrey Dahmer's conviction in 1991 Mm -hmm. for all of those murders, he was like, oh, totally, Jeffrey Dahmer, that's who he was. That's who I met, right. So, little background on Jeffrey Dahmer. He was 18 when he committed his first murder. It mm-hmm. was 1978, I think. 1970, 1978 sounds right. Okay. He murdered hitchhiker Stephen Hicks, who was a white man. Mm-hmm. So that's notable, kind of, uh, in his home. And that was like a really weird, fucked up situation for, for Dahmer it's, it's a complicated story. We'll tell it when we get to Dahmer. Mm-hmm. But then in 1979, Dahmer enlists in the military. And he serves for a few years, but he's eventually discharged because he was a huge alcoholic. Okay. Big old drinker. So in March 1981, Dahmer is released from service. And he's basically given a plane ticket to whatever. Just here, go. And he doesn't want to return to his father's. So he goes to Miami, Florida. Oh my God. Where he lives until he goes back to, to Ohio in September, 1981. Mm -hmm. So he's in Florida from March to September, 1981. Okay. Adam Walsh goes missing in July. So the timing is right. Okay. But Dahmer's next confirmed murder is in 1987. And then he proceeds to murder at, like, an increasing rate mm-hmm. until his arrest in 1991. Isn't that usually how it goes, though? It's very common. That's super common. Yeah. But Dahmer's victims were almost entirely men of color. Mm-hmm. And his youngest victim, although he was, like, a pedophile, he was really more of a febophile, hebophile. His youngest victim was 14. Okay. Basically, he was into hairless men. Okay. And so he liked men, but But if they were young young or of color, they were more likely to be hairless. Okay. So the timing is right, but his MO is not actually right. Right. I really don't think that that he picked up and murdered a six-year-old because his youngest victim was 14 
and yeah. he almost entirely killed men of color. Right. And also, he always killed, like, in his home. I think once he killed in a motel. Really? In his own home? That's interesting. Oh, yeah, totally. His hmm. his house was, like, house of horrors. It was, like, right. Ed Gein's, but eviler. Ugh. <laughs> it was, it was, oh, we'll get to it when we get to Jeffrey Dahmer someday. Someday. Someday, yeah. We need, we're gonna need a break from true crime after the next couple of months. Yes, we are. But we'll definitely do Jeffrey Dahmer at some point because his story is really neat. But, you know, oddest tool, I'd give a 50-50. Jeffrey Dahmer, I'd give, like, (laughs) you know how I maybe have eaten human flesh? Yes. And maybe I've eaten human flesh. It's like, most people have... It's less than 1% likely that they've eaten human flesh, and mm-hmm. I may be closer to 1% likely. Right. I'm going to give Dahmer that. <laughs> it's closer to mean? 1% likely oh, that yes, he yes, killed yes. Adam Walsh. Right, right. So. So probably not. Probably just no. I just don't think so. He murdered, he murdered like, you know, 25-year-olds and... One fourteen-year-old and seventeen-year-olds and eighteen-year-olds. He might have right. killed two fourteen-year-olds. I haven't done the research on him recently. He didn't murder six-year-olds. Right, that's another level. That's a completely different, you know. Mm-hmm. And his first murderer was of an adult man. You know. Right. And so you just don't stray from your mo that drastically. No. So I just don't think it was Jeffrey Dahmer. I think it's, like, a convenient, like, oh, let's tie it to a broader story. Mm-hmm. And, like, his timing was right, and that's kind of kind of neat. But I just think it's a convenient... Right, it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't really prove anything. Yeah. Yeah. I just... It wasn't his M.O. It just wasn't. Right, so Dahmer very easily could have been at that mall and been the creepy guy hitting... He might know, have. Hit, that's possible. Horrific, but I mean that said, but two that doesn't serial mean killers that... met each other in this story earlier, and you know, sprayed right. together and got the perfect folie adieu with Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool. So yeah. you know, crazy shit happens. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's all related. Yes. <sighs> so flash forward a million years, we're mm-hmm. in 2006, and Reve's like, "Fuck this! I have to know what happened." Mm -hmm. I'm not going to my grave, not knowing who killed Adam. So she decides to get a cold case detective Mm -hmm. and just, and just start the case from scratch. And they hire Joe Matthews who had worked on the case before. And he goes and he asks for everything that they have on the case, Mm -hmm. which was not a lot because they lost a fuckload of evidence. Yeah. But he does get the negatives of a bunch of crime scene photos Mm -hmm. that had never been developed. Which is why would you not kind of develop up on its own thing? Yeah, right. So I think a little bit of this case is police not wanting to acknowledge their mistakes. Well, it's yeah, obviously. Yeah, you know, being willing to like close the case when they did it was like I don't want to deal with this. Right, I'm not gonna look into it any further. Yeah. So, so he develops he develops the negatives and he's looking through the photos and he's looking at the. Um, the carpet that had been luminaled from Mm -hmm. the the missing white Cadillac. And in the image, he sees a shape that kind of resembles a child's head. Okay. And I posted some, some images. I got them from the frustrated witness site because he wants to prove that it wasn't Otis Toole. He wants to prove that it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. And it says the first image was from the FDLE. And the second image was like this weird enhanced photo from the, documentary bringing adam home Mm -hmm. and in the second image you can kind of see the shape of a child's face yeah and in the first image you're kind of like what the fuck is this it's maybe some splotches of blood yeah so how did they enhance how did they enhance that that looks like it's like the coloring is even in a different spot like how i don't really see how one image translates into the other i mean they look kind of I mean, in terms of it being a blue image on a black background, they look pretty similar. But if you just look at where, like... They're the same shape. But I don't know how they enhanced it. Okay. I have no idea. And and even... I guess the second shape looks like a... Looks like a face. I guess. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, they have that, and they're like, "Bam! It's Otis Tool. Case closed." And the like, Florida law enforcement gets behind it and is like, "Yeah, bam! Case closed. We Gucci." And and Reve and John Walsh are like, "Okay, we're happy with this. It's John. It's uh, it's Otis Tool. We're good." Mm-hmm. And and that's it. And I'm. I'm happy with it being Otis Tool. I'm okay with it being Otis Tool, but this is it, it this is not little, enough for me right, to convict Otis Tool. It seems a little anticlimactic and a little bit, uh, yeah, unsatisfactory. Like, yeah. just given you know what, the research, what, what you're able to come up with in relation to cases and how people are convicted, and you know, it it just that's so that's so little information. Mm-hmm. It's so little, and so how can it? It seems like, it seems like to me, if somebody really did commit a crime, that even with missing evidence, there should be more. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. And like, you know, Otis Tool was already dead, so he wasn't exactly like at risk for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So, big deal. They didn't exactly like ruin the name of an upstanding citizen, but it is a little bit like. Right, the concern then becomes if... The concern is that there's a murderer that's still out there. Right, exactly. So, and it doesn't really seem like there's enough information to definitively say that they're, that the person who murdered him isn't still out there. Or wasn't if they've died, but, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's basically how I feel, is like, okay. Do you really feel good about that? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I guess at this point... It's mostly about closure for the Walshes. Mm-hmm. And so they're happy with this conclusion, and so I'm happy for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I buy this conclusion, but I'm not going to fucking send letters to them, you know? Well, no. Especially because, like, it's not that I don't buy this conclusion. It's just that I don't I don't feel like it's enough. Right. Like, I don't think anything proves that Otis Tool didn't do it. Well, and- I think from a criminal justice standpoint, it's not just about the the family having closure. It's about, you know, the safety and welfare of your of the people and of, of the children. So, you know, I, I feel like I feel like those are two very separate issues. If, if somebody wants to choose to take, you know, a conviction and be like, OK, yes, I believe that that is the perpetrator. Good. I can sleep at night. That's, mm-hmm. that's completely unrelated to whether or not law enforcement is obligated to have more evidence and really figure out if that oh, was yeah. the case or not. But, I mean, I think that because this case is almost 40 years old, yeah, whoever did kill Adam is probably, probably dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. Probably I are. mean, like, Otis Tool is dead. Jeffrey Dahmer's dead. They died in the 90s. Yeah. And so, like, it's, I mean, it's only 40 years. So if, like, whoever killed Adam was, like, 20, they're, they're entirely probably alive. Yeah. But, you know, if they were, like, 40 or 50 or, you know, an older person, they're totally dead. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And and they didn't use this to convict anybody. Yeah. They just used it to close the case. And I think, I think again, that that was, um, you know, the, the police department basically being like, yeah, perfect. Stop yeah. looking at how we we fucked up. We closed it. We did it. Yay. Right. You know? Which I think that's what makes me feel unsatisfied and not. Yeah. It's like, I don't like that. I feel yeah. like of all the times to cut corners and of all the times for... Uh, lose the evidence on a burglary or lose the evidence on, like, a pot <laughs> possession charge. But, right. like, really losing the evidence... And being satisfied with this outcome for a child murder, that's not well, acceptable. Also, like, a multiple murderer. Because, like, Otis Tool was full-blown serial killer. Right. It wasn't just an Adam Walsh murder evidence loss. It was a serial killer evidence loss. Right. Which does have and, another level to it, you're right. Yeah. There's so many people that may or may not have been murdered by this guy. You don't fucking lose that evidence. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that a big like take home from all of our crimes behind the sex offender registry is, um, man, we need something better as far as like accountability for police. Yeah, 
Because woof. Yeah, woof is right. Yeah. So. <sighs> so that's the majority of the big yuck. We've we've gotten through our big yuck. Yay! And and we can get on to the legacy, which is technically why we're telling this story. Yeah, let's get on to the legacy then. So so John Walsh is big advocacy spree. Um, mm-hmm. And Reve as well. They they start the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in mm-hmm. 1984, which I actually brought up, I think, in the Wetterling episode. Yeah. And John goes to, like, legislators and, like, law enforcement and everything, 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 politics, uh, nonprofits, yada, yada, mm-hmm. all over the country. And that becomes, like, his thing. He even, mm-hmm. like, loses his job over it, essentially. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because he's just spending all of his time. Right, if you're devoting all your time to that, that makes sense. Yeah. In 1988, he signs with Fox and starts his TV career as the host of America's Most Wanted. That seems interesting. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm definitely not judging him. I just wonder how much it felt like he was sort of parlaying his tragedy into spotlight is that like a offensive thing to be thinking about like i don't know i feel like i don't blame you for thinking it i i think that with john walsh it was a it was his way of dealing with the loss of his son yeah was advocating for people you know yeah that makes sense and and when you're trying to get like legislation passed and you're trying to get I mean, when you're trying to get political power, Spotlight is one of those things that you seek. Yeah, that's, that makes sense, actually. You can definitely change minds a lot more effectively as the host of a show on Fox than as a grieving father. Yes. And and he had been doing stuff with legislators, like, way before. It was just that he had become such a public figure right. that Fox was like, hey. Want to do this? You want to do this? And, and actually, America's Most Wanted helped to catch, like, quite a few um, of the FBI's Most Wanted. That's cool. Which is kind of neat. Yeah, I don't know much about America's Most Wanted besides the fact that it, like, was on a lot at my grandpa's house when I was a kid. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I think he might be coming out of retirement to do it again, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's kind of fun, I guess. The dude just can't sleep. <laughs> no time for rest. <laughs> no time. So I was looking into it, and John Walsh is actually out of retirement um, already and has been working on the sh- uh, show called In Pursuit. Ah. Yes. So that's that's currently, like, episodes of that are currently airing. Okay. So, yeah, fun stuff. John Walsh has come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Because no sleep, not ever. Yes. No rest. Not till Brooklyn, anyway. No, no rest till Brooklyn. <laughs> That's how that song goes. Yep, definitely. With that accent. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. And to, to bring this all around, remember in the Wetterling case, I told you about how, you know, right after Jacob got kidnapped, Patty Wetterling went on the Geraldo Rivera show mm-hmm. with John Walsh. Oh, right. John Walsh was the Frank, oh yeah, he was probably sexually assaulted and murdered guest star. So he was the one who was a dick to uh, Patty Wetterling. They were both a dick to Patty Wetterling. That's upsetting. That's upsetting. Like, having all this information to connect it, I can't believe he would say something like that to a grieving mother. I think it's one of those, like, well, I lived through it. Right, I'm gonna be hyper objective and like shitty about this because I can. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, and you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that I told the story last because, of course, it it made the most recent sex offender act. But also, mm-hmm. um, to bring it all around, bring it all around, like tie everything together. In the signing of Megan's Law by Bill Clinton, uh, there there's there's pre- press coverage of it mm-hmm. where he's signing it. Uh, you can just look it up. It's on the internet. And in in the beginning, you know, when he's coming up and he's 
shaking hands with everybody, he shakes hands with the Wetterling family, and he shakes hands with the Konkas, mm-hmm. and he shakes hands with John Walsh. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a couple other families of missing children, but, like, basically, these stories are very interconnected. Yeah. Oh, look, I because think I found. Because they are all going on at the same time mm-hmm. in their own way. Again, we don't live in a vacuum, in a vacuum, and uh, it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> as the plot line tends to go. So, back to the sex offender registry. Yes. Blah blah blah. Wetterling Act. We establish a registry, and we've got sexually violent predators, and we've got other predators. Mm-hmm. Megan's Law. We've got the requirement to disclose. Okay. Then in 2006, we have the Adam Waltz Child Protection and Safety Act, or the Sex Offender Registry and Notification Act, SORNA. Okay. And it basically repeals and rewrites everything. Okay. So there's a lot that's still the same, but it it's a new... Right, it starts completely over. Blank state. Mm-hmm. And it creates a new baseline for sex offender registration... And notifications. It includes a bunch of uh, federally recognized Indian tribes. Uh, meaning that that they would be included in the registry? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's still not the case with... They hadn't been required to. And that's not the case with all tribes at, still? It includes all of the federally recognized ones. Oh, okay. I believe. Okay. And almost all of them. So there's like 212 federally recognized and 197 have actually opted to establish their own system, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It expands the offenses. Uh, It creates the smart office, which is, I told you, where I got like the rundown of the history of the registration. Mm -hmm. It it creates the, the website, the Drew Sojin National Sex Offender Public Website. Which is how you can search all uh, state and tribal mm-hmm. websites. And it establishes the Sex Offender Management Assistance Program. Which is what? Yeah. Technical assistance. Okay. So, I mean, I guess the idea of SORNA was to kind of bring it up to date. Because right. we, in 2006, we had the internet. Right. And so, you know, in the 90s, when we were first starting this, like, we had the internet, but we didn't but really, not really have the internet. Yeah. And so creating a registry at all was like, let's have a fucking national database where we can, like, put people on a list and look through their files. And this, I, I imagine the idea is to rewrite it for a more modern era. Right. But no, it also harshens it. Right. Like, this is where... I, I have definitely heard, like, everything's kind of okay until now, but this is where it gets draconian. Okay. And this is also where we get the three tiers. The three tiers. Because mm-hmm. we had, we had like, highly, like, like uh, high risk, medium risk, low risk mm-hmm. in the Megan Conca. Yeah. And we had sexually violent or not sexually violent with Wetterling. Mm-hmm. And now we have three tiers. And the, the tiers are... You've got tier one that are the the not particularly dangerous, like misdemeanor registration offenses right. and the child pornography of possession. You've got tier two, which is what my ex was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know because he had to register every six months. Mm-hmm. And it's sexual exploitation crimes, sexual abuse of minors, and it also is distribution and production of child porn. Okay. I can't believe production is tier two. Production right, you think like production would should be the worst. Like, that's one of those ones where I actually am like, nah, you should be harsher on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's a that's a rare thing for me. I'm usually more pro-defendant. But like, no, if you are producing child porn. Yeah, no, fuck no, you. No. And then tier three are like the real bad ones. Mm-hmm. You know, under 13 victims and uh, actually non-parental kidnapping. Oh, good. Get you tier three. Which is, which is kind of fascinating. I remember, were you in the, like, street law course in the high school? I feel like I was. We went to the jail. 
Yes. Oh, we went to the Yes. The prison, yes. Actually. I remember that. Yes. At yes, I was. Mm-hmm. One of the people that was, you know, one of the good offenders who was allowed to come and talk to us was a was a kidnapper. Mm-hmm. And he had actually kidnapped his buddy. And it was basically like a prank revenge that had gone too far. Mm-hmm. And that's how he ended up in prison. That's so messed and up. And I think that's kind of wild that he's going to end up being a tier three predator. Yeah. You know? That is kind of wild, actually. Huh? And I mean, again, it kind of goes back to that, like, should we be treating everyone the same regardless of their situation? Right. Regardless of the nuances of their offense. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, so here's here's what I'm wondering. What is it, What is this reformation something that was being pushed for for a long time? Or what was it that made this shift happen in 2006 where uh, the laws had to be repealed and rewritten and they were made so much more harsh? And I mean, what, was it a long time coming or, or was there totally. uh, another precipitating event? Because in the 90s, we had like this really harsh, um, tough on crime movement Mm -hmm. in both parties like republicans and democrats are all about putting criminals in jail Mm -hmm. lock them up throw away the key and like sociologists and criminologists have been like it's not a like functional way of dealing with society that's not ethical or effective please stop but you know politicians are like rada rada and the people that vote are like ah rada rada yeah. And, you know, nobody's listening to the fucking dweeb at the ivory tower over there. Yeah. You know, because hard not to vote with your feelings mm-hmm. because we're talking about children. Well, and people, I think that that's the thing, too, is, I mean, as far as uh, political platforms, people, there's there's a very obvious intent to make you vote with your feelings and to manipulate your emotions, especially yeah. with what's going on in politics now. Like, that's, people are not just encouraged, but sort of um, misled into voting mm-hmm. with their emotions rather than voting with their intellects because that's seen as being a very bad thing. Right, right. <laughs> Our country is obnoxiously anti-intellectual. Yes, it's really... And like, guys, learning is good. Learning is very good. Read a book. Student loan debt, <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. Education, yeah, I can very good. To that. <laughs> yeah. And that. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, I don't regret getting my education. I just yeah. regret how expensive it was. Right. Of course. Yeah. But I'm I'm very happy to be more knowledgeable. Right. Well, obviously. I mean. But yeah. Yeah. No. Learning is good, guys. Read a goddamn book. I mean, if you're listening to podcasts, that's... Podcasts are basically like the I don't have time for reading replacement for books so most people that listen into podcasts are already fairly pro-education we would assume in case you're not read a damn book yeah get with the program (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah no we had the we had the tough on crime in the 90s and it's not it's not actually gotten better we've gotten slightly more people that are pushing for criminal justice reform Mm -hmm. because we've started realizing that putting somebody in prison for life potentially for a couple of misdemeanors that have been bumped up to a felony because it's enhanceable offenses. Right. It's not great. No. Well, I'm just seeing how much our, our, our legal practices are affected by like the prison industrial complex. Right. And how keeping people imprisoned is a business. So we are absolutely doing some episodes on the prison industrial complex. So you can't, yeah. Bruh. Bad. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's kind of hard to take this story outside of the prison industrial complex because basically, you know, there's, there's, there's legitimate, like, good intentioned people who have, like, lost family that are advocating for these right. laws that are criminal laws. And then there's lobbyists that are fully being backed by money from putting, from, from, from legalized slavery. Right. From, from getting profit by putting citizens in a cell. Right. When that might not necessarily be the most effective way to reform them for their crime, nor it's is it not. a good way to prevent crime. Yeah. yeah. No, they've definitely proven that, like, prison on its own does not do shit. Well, it's not a deterrent. Because if you're already to the point where you're uh, considering a, a, a federal offense, shit's already gone wrong. You're yeah. already in a situation where that's 
if that's an option you're considering, the system has already failed you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really. Sure. And. I mean, basically, like, prison needs to be, like, okay, serial killers, let's stick them in there for life. That's fine. If you've killed a, like, handful of people, I don't mind you staying in prison forever. Mm -mm. But most people are gonna get out of prison. Even murderers. So, we can't just treat it like lock them up and throw away the key because that's just not how it is. No, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And... I mean, we're we're repeating ourselves at this point. Like, we've all said all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's like, we need to think about criminal justice in a completely different way. We have to... It's okay to use your emotions sometimes. Like, the, the emotional pain that crimes have caused is not an invalid, like, piece of this puzzle. Right. But there's more than just that pain. Yeah. There's, there's the, there's the ethics of, you know, for-profit prisons, which, um, there is none. There's no ethics. That is completely abhorrent. (laughs) And, and then there's, there's the realistic expectations of, well, what are we going to do with, with these people once they get out? And what are we going to do with these people while they're in to make it so that we don't have to so they're not worry a about when them they get out. once they get out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, essentially, this is us telling you the horrific crimes and then being like, but there's more. But there's <laughs> but wait, more. wait, there's more. Always more. But, uh, yeah, man. Sorry for all of the awful. There's so much awful. It's okay. So much awful. And I am so excited to be done with child murders. Me too. We're not getting better we're just sort of changing gears yeah Uh, our next series i'm really fucking excited about i've been working really hard on it i've been studying it for a couple months i'm just i'm excited i'm excited to get started on it and i've talked to like a couple of actual experts in the field oh cool yeah i talked to the fucking uh founder of life after hate which is what it's a it's an organization for people who are ex-extremists or are trying to get out of extremist groups. Okay. Yeah. Basically, the dude used to be part of, like, the white Aryan nation or something mm-hmm. like that. War, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It, it, was, it was literally an organization that was white supremacists right. and white nationalists and that sort of thing. And um, he had a daughter... And decided to develop some compassion. Good. And uh, then he started this foundation with a couple of other, um, basically, ex-neo-Nazis. Cool. And I'm really into it because I I want to believe that there's hope. I want to believe in hope. I know that I tell a lot of really horrible stories, but I'm still a very hopeful person. Mm-hmm. Because I probably wouldn't be able to stay alive if I didn't have any hope. <laughs> For sure. You know, like... I mean, basically, like, I can choose to be pessimistic or optimistic, and life continues no matter what I am. And I try to be realistic because I don't want to be disappointed, but I'd rather, I'd rather believe that good stuff can happen. But yeah, so, I don't know. Sorry for all the yuck. I don't necessarily think that our depressing subjects are going to change in the next couple of months, but it's definitely going to change gears. A lot less child murder. Yeah. I mean, I think though, you know, when, when you have an interest and when you're, when your topic is true crime, like it's always going to be a little yuck, but there's just, mm-hmm. there's something uniquely upsetting and difficult to get through about like kids, kids and animals, right? Like there's a reason right. I don't watch, I don't watch movies. If like a dog's on the cover. I mean, I, there's literally a website that is doesthedogdie.com. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I don't even fuck around with that, though. Like, You're, you're not alone in, yeah. in that. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think that, you know. And when I ran that horror blog, mm-hmm. you know what I would write in my reviews? What? I would write if an animal died and if there was a rape. That's good. Yeah, those are important yeah. things to know. Yeah. Jesus. So. <laughs> 
So yeah, this is this is heavy stuff, and we're still doing heavy stuff because that's the nature. Our upcoming but, shows better um, not deal with any puppy death. I'm just gonna say that right now. I love you. Oh God. Okay. Well, whatever. No spoilers. <laughs> Got it. No spoilers. Uh, no puppies. Great. Okay. Don't even Hannah, want to think about. It. I'm gonna eat you. You are such a bad girl. Bad cat. Oh. Yeah. You're such a dick. Dick. But yeah, I'm excited for what we're going to do. It's more, it's, it's more, you know, heavy true crime politics, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I feel like it's really relevant to our current political climate and it leads up to an important anniversary. Yes, it does. And it's super so, relevant. It's very relevant. It's really relevant. I mean, I've been talking to people that are like, oh, all of this shit is so new. Like, I've never seen this before. And it's like, this is not new. Yeah, this is no. Not new at all. And they're like, but they weren't marching. Yeah, no, they were fucking marching. <laughs> they were absolutely marching. Absolutely. Ugh. So. Oh, thanks for listening. Thanks for thanks for staying with us. Follow us on social media. Palm Pitch Pod. Yay, at Palm Pitch Pod. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know. So share us with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> share us with your friends. Help us achieve a manageable level of fame. Yeah. And um, if you could review us on whatever you're listening to, I we just got our first review and it might have been a friend, but thanks, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> might have been a friend. We love you so much. Long time. And... Uh, yeah, is that everything we need to plug? I think that's plug? everything we need to plug. Plug my dog invading my space with yeah, her terrible my breath. Cat trying to eat my uh, headphones. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh shit, breath. No. <laughs> All right. All okay, right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>